Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. We're coming to you for the second time in Season 8 of this show, ready to talk about more, A Link Between Worlds. Uh, before we get into that, though, Matt, I do have to ask you a question. Yes, ask me, ask me the question. Are you Mario and am I Luigi, or is it the other way around? I mean, I think that I am definitely Mario and you are Luigi if our Mario Party and Mario Kart characters say anything about that. I think you're right. I think yes. you're right. Our, our our dear friend Max Nichols dropped a few fun little prompts in our Discord channel earlier today. And, uh, and uh, you know, maybe maybe we'll talk about some more of them later. But uh, I just this one really grabbed my imagination and, and had me thinking like, what, what, you know, what is our situation here? And uh, and I think uh, it really didn't take too long. I've been playing Luigi and you've been playing Mario in all of those games for about as long as uh, as we've been playing those games. So. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's uh, it's a pretty easy one from uh, at least just by past experience. Question yeah. asked and question answered. There you go, there Max you go. Nichols. <laughs> How you doing tonight, Matt? <laughs> oh, I'm good. It is a uh, it's a slightly chilly, breezy night, but uh, it's February, so you would hope it would be at least one of those things. So, uh, uh, but a very good night, very momentous uh, weekend for our family. A uh, little little baby brother decided to go get himself a fiance. Yeah, you mean that uh, that at one time third member of the Willoughby brother trio who has been gone from this podcast for an extended period. <laughs> Of time. He's basically brother. He's basically persona non grata. But um, yeah, that one. He's uh, he decided to get him. He upgraded his girlfriend subscription to fiance subscription. So ah, there you go. Uh, we we appreciate uh, her and their love journey. And uh, it was a time of celebration and happiness. Yeah, getting getting into that fiance tier up from the girlfriend tier. There's there's definitely a price hike there, right? But there Especially are, an upfront price hike. Yeah, yes. absolutely. But uh, but you know, it just that extra commitment. It uh, builds character, I think. And she's she's great. We love her. Absolutely, so. no qualms of any kind. So there you go. Twas a twas a good weekend in the Willoughby household, uh, but of course it is not just you and I on this episode. Uh, we've made it past the first episode of the new season. We always save that one just for us two, but now it's time to start bringing in other perspectives, other opinions, other voices. And so, uh, in uh, you know, with that being said, uh, we're kicking off this season with a truly spectacular other voice, one with a little bit of an exotic accent, I might say. Yeah, he uh, a little bit exotic. So one who calls himself the uh, Barack Obama of Australia. He does indeed, ladies and gentlemen. We are pleased to welcome back to the pod, Cody Davies of Zelda Universe. How you doing, Cody? Wahoo! It's a me, Cody O. As I said, <laughs> I'm there in Italian Texas. Uh, I'm, Italian. I'm Texas. always happy to be here with the Mario and Luigi of Zelda podcasting, and ready to talk is, about is, the game. Is that our official title now? Like, if you're if you're the Obama of Australia, are we the Mario and Luigi of Zelda podcasting? I think that's a good good little title. Okay. All right. That's a little bit of cross uh, stream contamination, but we'll take it. I, I like it. You know, yeah. I can, it feels good. It, it, like first blush, I, I think I can live with it. 
we're uh, we're definitely glad to have you back, Cody. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's so funny because uh, last week, you know, we were talking. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the episode yet, but we actually we invoked the water dragon upon the downfall timeline, um, and we did it in your name. You inspired us, so yeah. Well, look, was, I'm uh, always I'm always happy to talk about the water dragon. I mean, because our, our whole thing was that uh, once you get to the end of the downfall timeline, that version of Hyrule is actually a pretty rundown, pretty decrepit little place, right? And I just think maybe the water dragon and uh, and the gods of Hyrule could do with a, a little bit of a flood situation. I don't know. I, I think I think that version of Hyrule is uh, is ripe for getting turned into the Great Sea. Yeah, I mean, a few sharks couldn't make it that much worse. Than the situation it's pretty bad out so. pretty bad pretty bad down there already for sure just uh you know throw a shark at a problem and see if it makes it better and if it doesn't you're really not any worse off than you were already yeah well i would hate for the water dragon to hear that we thought that she could be useful to us in any material way um because overall i think she's still just the worst but there you go um cody how have you been since the last time we checked in with you uh good i mean well, aside from listening to your final episode of The Wind Waker, um, that wasn't that wasn't as good. But uh, aside from that, you know, it's a great time. <laughs> we have we have a dissenter among us. So, Cody, what exactly was your was your qualm with uh, with with that episode? You know his qualm. I, I want him to say it okay. out loud. Look, so I think that The Wind Waker is good. Um, whereas you think you've declared it the worst 3D Zelda and absolutely of, of all time, of all bar time. none. And you know, it was just shocking and appalling to hear all this, <laughs> uh, coming out of my, my phone. Um, but no, it's, we, we've had some, we've had some discussions on it in the discord and all that kind of thing. Everyone's got their personal list. Like I make fun of Joshua's list more than anybody's because I can't understand his list at all. Um, <laughs> you know, so it really, it really does have some head scratchers in there. We're not gonna lie. <laughs> you know, so so your list is relatively. It's like all right. So there's a bit more of a, a bit more of a narrative linear preference than I have on my list. You know, generally speaking, yeah. but mostly it's a fairly similar list to mine so far. Well, at, at least there's uh, some, at least there is some overlap there, right? That's, that's good to hear. Yeah. And um, you're absolutely right in saying that I liked Skyward Sword more than uh, Wind Waker. I have declared unequivocally my abiding hatred for everything that Wind Waker stands for. There is no redeeming quality Ooh. to that game. You're so And edgy. it's just absolutely the worst. That's right. Are you so. Zelda more like is Zelda? hey i remember 2001 oh gosh uh no is this is this the point in the podcast matt where your your personal podcasting style switches exclusively to like shock humor and like just i don't know if i can do that (laughs) that's not my not my style i don't know if i don't know if our if our format can survive such an abrupt change in in tone and demeanor, I think it's probably best if we just leave that. Alone. I mean, look, we're already two years into this thing, so any any change in format and demeanor at this point is That's just going to give everybody shell shock. So maybe well, maybe we don't do that. It is so funny though because I'm looking at the list right now, Cody, and in the Discord channel the other day, I was talking about how like, oh, this top five is going to be really hard to break into. I'm never going to want to push Link's Awakening any lower than it is right now, and. 
I still pretty much feel that way, but I have to say, Matt and I were talking right before we started recording this episode, and uh, man, this game has got its hooks in me right now. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really stinking enjoying this game. It is. It is so fun. I I don't know that I've had this much fun with the top down this early on ever in, in the in the time that we've been podcasting or really outside of my like childhood growing up with um, handhelds, yeah. which were a much bigger part of my childhood than they are. This today. is yeah. this is my favorite uh, non 3D Zelda game um, or on a technicality. It's a 3D Zelda game. I never use the 3D slider. Uh, on my 3ds but because um, it drains the battery faster but theoretically uh 3d zelda game but yeah this is i think fifth on my list um i really enjoy it i think it basically it has all it sort of has learned a bunch of lessons about modern game design and applied it to 2d zelda in a way that hadn't really been done otherwise while combining it with like the warm nostalgia blanket of a link to the past. Um, right. Right. Which is. Yeah. So it, yeah. it is a link to the past too. It, not directly in English. This is a little, a little fun trivia fact for people who don't know this, which may include you too. Um, a link to the past in Japanese, not called a link to the past. It was called Triforce of the Gods. It got changed to a link to the past because at the time Nintendo was sort of like just removing religious re- references from things. A Link Between Worlds in Japan is called Triforce of the Gods 2. There's no ambiguity about this as a direct sequel. Wow, okay. Well, there you go. I think that that makes a lot of sense. That is, that's that's really cool. It's a good thing to know. I do have to say that uh, I sort of enjoy my Zelda titles being distinct from each other. Like, I, I, I kind of enjoy that it's not a convention where they have numbered sequels. Ocarina of Time and Ocarina of Time Part 2. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. I guess Zelda 2 is the exception to that rule, right? But that, but not really, because it's called the, the Adventure of Link. That's the exception to many rules. So <laughs> That's the exception to all of the rules. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, because we were actually talking last week, and maybe you can shed a little bit more light on this, Cody, um, talking about the journey of this game, you know, like the the whole concept of it to begin with and i was under the impression that this game started life as just a 3d uh, a 3ds remake of a link to the past and then it morphed from there into something more its own story and and whatnot is that correct or am i just uh, making yeah. it complete? as i understand it that is the you know because at what point that changed i'm not sure because you can say that a lot about a lot of things is that they're based on people fooling around and coming to a you know coming up and being like, here, I'm going to recreate, you know, the the original Legend of Zelda, and it turns into Breath of the Wild. Um, You know, I'm not sure what point along that development cycle. Uh, That's a question for for Max, who, uh, the keeper of the interviews. Uh, But, but yeah, as I understand it, it was originally uh, thought of as a remake uh, when when they started working on it. Gotcha. So uh, before we get into housekeeping, obviously, when we get into a new season and we have a new sorry, obviously, you're not a new guest or a returning guest, but you're new to this season of the show. Um, And every time (coughs) 
every time we end up in that situation, we like to get a little bit of historical understanding of, of where that guest is with the game that we're covering. You've just kind of given us your ranking and kind of how highly you esteem this game compared to other Zelda games. But um, why don't you just give us a little short history on uh, on your history with A Link Between Worlds? You know, uh, I'm assuming that you because you you absolutely yeah, like you've been working uh for zelda universe for quite a long time at the point that this game came out so um oh yeah i the fact that my so i started i joined the forums of zelda universe in like 2003 so that was wind waker era and then i joined staff around 2007 which is around twilight princess era um and so everything past that i've sort of helped to cover as a as a staff member at Zelda Universe. And as, as someone's pointed out already, I think I've done a few of the guide uh, guide pages for A Link Between Worlds on the Zelda Universe website, uh, which I don't necessarily remember doing, but it's very possible that I did. Um, you know, so this is a game that I... So I guess my, my excitement at it sort of has a context to it that goes beyond just I played it and it was a great game. For me, I had been disappointed by the direction the series had been heading. Um, so, you know, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks, this is the sort of era that we'd had, for the, you know, the, the 10, 10, 15 years leading up to this game. Yeah. Um. And for me, it was sort of, it had headed more and more away from open exploration and more and more towards just linear storytelling. Um, and for me, that, that was something that, you know, I can appreciate Skyward Sword, for example, on its, on its own merits now, but at the time looking at it from a perspective of where is the Zelda series going and then getting Skyward Sword, it's sort of like, oh, so it's it's just a Dungeons game now. We're not, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so there was that disappointment there of just expectations. Um, and so to get a link between worlds, because they, they've been talking about changing expectations for a long time, like, if you look at the interviews for Skyward Sword, there is a lot of talk about changing up the traditional format for that kind of game. Um, and they did change up the traditional format just in a, into more of a direction of dungeon dungeons. Like it's a, you know, the overworld is dungeons, the dungeons are dungeons. If you love dungeons, you're going to love Skyward Sword. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the kind of change that I was looking for. Whereas this came around and I was like, wow, it's so open. It's so just rewards you. It rewards you for exploration in a way that previous games hadn't been doing. Um, like even inside, you know, inside things like dungeons that are traditionally considered, oh, well, this is the dungeon. You know, there's keys here. There's whatever, you know, you don't usually get the chance to just wander outside on the outside walls of the dungeon and get hundred rupees because you were rewarded for your curiosity. Right. Right. That's the kind of gameplay change that they sort of made in this game. And it made me really excited for the future of the series. And then as you know, the next game came out after that was breath of the wild. So from that historical perspective, it really was an exciting moment for me. 
It is. That, that's such an interesting thing. You know, there's this weird break in my in my thinking process about these games between A Link Between Worlds and Skyward or sorry, A Link Between Worlds and Breath of the Wild, right? Like they feel like a completely different era of Zelda to me. Like they they like in my mind, uh, I think about them as being separated by like a much greater span of time than they actually are. You know, mm-hmm. um, w- when the reality is that they actually were, you know, they had a, they had a shorter span between them than Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom will. So, right. It's, yep. a, um, it's a four year or a bit under four years uh, release difference. Right? On six years between Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom now. Yeah. Yeah. But what, so when when uh, the hype cycle was starting for this game, and when Nintendo had finally pulled the cover off of what it actually was, was there quite a lot of excitement uh, both among the ZU staff and among the fan community for having a game that was uh, that was using an exact recreation of a classic overworld? I think that was a split, like because I was never a link to the past person. Like I started with Ocarina. I went back to A Link to the Past and played around, you know, did a, did a few dungeons, wandered the world a bit, but I never actually finished A Link to the Past for the first time before doing A Link Between Worlds, um, which gave me more interest in that world, I think. It's different for, yeah. for other people who are going to have strong, you know, strong feelings towards A Link to the Past. For me, it was sort of like... Oh wow! They're they're finally you know they're gonna make a link to the past, but good. You know. Oh my gosh! Yeah. That's not, <laughs> not not looking for any controversy here, are we? Controversy here, yeah. Like, of course, a link to the past is good. You know, in the context of its time, um, but for me, as someone who didn't grow up with it, I found it frustrating. All of the little things, all of the you can only move in four directions or whatever, you know, all of those, all those little things about the controls and everything else that just didn't sit right with me um, and just made things frustrating for me. Like there's a thing I want to do and then there's a thing that the game wants to do yeah. and they're conflicting. Whereas this just felt like, wow, like when I, when I do a spin attack, for example, in A Link to the Past, I think I commented on the episode I was on um with sacred realms for that, that the spin attack just felt too short. Like it actually just ends at the edge of the sword where, whereas I feel like it should end twice as far as the edge of the sword. Right. You know, And that's what it does in this game. And like, you know, you can move in, you know, you move in more than four directions. You can shoot arrows and all this kind of thing in more than four directions. Like it all, it all just felt much so much more smoother for what I wanted out of out of the experience. Yeah, and that's definitely something that stood out very much to Matt and I, and we talked about last week, which is just the the improvement in the feel of moment to moment gameplay in this game, but in a link to the past world creates such a a fun little combination of things, right? Where 
it is like in some ways um, to kind of agree with your your very controversial opinion that you just posited. Um, in some ways, this feels like a link to the past perfected. You know, <laughs> it's got all the things that you loved about that game, um, and then remedies a lot of the things that we felt were so frustrating with it. That's an early impression. We've got a lot of this game left to play, obviously, but uh, I, I think that that's kind of like when when we were just talking about it amongst ourselves. That's sort of where we were landing with it up front. Like, yeah, this is like. This is this is an excellent product that they stuck in the oven for a little bit longer, you know, plus several decades of extra game development experience and whatnot. And now we have this game and it's amazing. Yeah. I second all of that. Yeah. Well, cool. So I, I have one more question for you, Cody. Just a, a fun little a fun little icebreaker question before we get into the housekeeping and, and talk about this, you know, chunk of game that we were playing this week. If they were ever to take another overworld from another zelda game and make a new game based around that overworld as it existed before updated of course right like you know it like it would have more stuff to do presumably and whatnot but like but everything is in the same place right like your hyrule castles in the same place zora's domain or whatever cities are all in the same place the same overworld just newer and better which one would you want to get this sort of treatment so there's a few Ocarina of Time is the one that immediately jumps to mind for me because that's a game that because I really enjoy that game. Um, you know, I have it above a link between worlds on my list. I think I have it fourth. Um, but that's a game that when I go to replay it, I do very little with the overworld. Like if I'm traveling the overworld, it's because I'm traveling. I don't feel the excitement of just wandering around looking at trees and rocks trying to find a trying to find a hole that is hard inside because I feel like yeah. we did an early experimentation on that with Ocarina of Time but it wasn't you know there were decades of experimentation to come to make that better um, and so I feel like a version of you know the true Ocarina of Time HD or whatever, there is a lot of potential, I think, for creating a world where it's not just that, you know, the dungeons and the story and all of that are great, but that that you're rewarded for your curiosity the same way you are in this game. I think that would be really great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's pretty much where I'm at with it as well. Um, anything newer than that, I don't think there's really as much of a need for an update, right? Majora's Mask certainly doesn't need an update to its overworld. And, um, no. You know, Twilight Princess has a bit of the same problem as what you're talking about with Ocarina of Time, but also that game is already a lot more recent, and I just don't know that, like... I don't know how many meaningful updates you could make to that overworld. And then at the same time, I just don't think that overworld is quite as iconic feeling as, as Ocarina of Time. Yeah, so you're I mean, kind of I missing have, that. I have suggestions for updates to Twilight Princess, but uh, like making the digging feel better. This is my, this is my personal um, little ranking list that nobody else keeps of the best shovels in Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> and and the oracle games are the absolute number one on my on my shovel rankings of how satisfying it feels to just grab a shovel shovel out the entire screen get some rupees have some spiders jump out at you um feel, hear the hear the sound of the shovel being shoveled um 
And, you know, there's so much potential in the Wolf game, but they just they didn't get there. So that would be my main improvement. <laughs> there you go. So I think if we're talking about, like, wish list, I would love to see Skyward Sword have an actual overworld. Oh, yeah. That had meaningful content. Like if we're to and and like all of all of what you said about like newer games are less likely to get a remake. That wasn't technically part of your question, so I'm going with the original question of what would you like to see? Okay, and I would like to see Skyward Sword get a meaningful overworld, fill the sky with stuff, make it fun, make there be meaningful things to do, make it interesting. I just like to be able to walk between the surface sections, right? Like, yeah, that, and they look on the map like they're close enough together to do that, but apparently they're not. I don't know. Like, I don't. Know. Yeah, like that would be great. I think that we have universally agreed that the sky and the lack of a real overworld is the main detractor for Skyward Sword. So. You know, if we're going to give any game an overworld shine <laughs> rebuff, I think that one needs it the most. But I mean, just imagine an Ocarina of Time overworld in the Breath of the Wild engine where it's like, oh, it's, for sure. It, it would has, be amazing. It has the same geography as Ocarina of Time, but it's got a Breath of the Wild amount of things to do and find in the overworld. You know, I mean, that ah man, that just sounds incredible. We're never going to get that. I sure think it does. I think uh, Nintendo would probably not want to make a habit out of doing that too often. And this is a special case, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it is, it is definitely fun to think about though. That's a great answer though, Cody. I think it's uh, it's hard for anyone to really argue with you. Your, your logic is very sound. All right. Well, that was awesome. Fun discussion, but of course we have an actual chunk of the game that we need to talk about. So let's get into some housekeeping and then jump right into that. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. And let this airplane fly over. It's very rude. It's very, very rude. or something to me from my end, so. <laughs> That's, that'd be pretty cool. I'd go for a TIE fighter flying over. That'd be great. I, I'm sure I could find that. Uh, that. That's going to be our new, every time we interrupt the podcast for, for an airplane. airplane just going to drop that in, right? If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Additionally, one of the benefits that Master Sword patrons and above get is that we read their names every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Shepherd Street, Matthew, Chris, Daniel, Fallout 907, Kelso, Tiffany the Star, Daxel, Patrice, Stephanie, Darknut, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Melanie, Kolku, Aiden, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Dante, Gep, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, a.k.a. Max Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. These are the most legendary of individuals. I would go on an adventure in a reprised overworld with them any day of the week. <laughs> I like that one. That was a good one. There you go. <laughs> All right. With uh, So actually, before we get into the Sacred Realms rundown, there are two things I want to bring up real quick. Uh, 
kind of addendums to the housekeeping section. One is that uh, the ongoing saga of the trading cards continues. Um, I did get an email last week that uh, manufacturing is done on those most recent two. Uh, they are en route to my house, and I believe they're actually supposed to show up tomorrow. So um, everybody should, I hope, be seeing uh, some nice Instagram pictures of those two cards uh, before this episode even airs. So fingers crossed. That'd be great. Um, in addition to that, one other thing we were talking about before we started recording, as we've mentioned many times before, we are in the lead up to the release of a new Zelda game right now. Tears of the Kingdom is coming out in about three months time. Um, and along with that, you know, we, we've got the hype cycle. We've got speculation, all those fun things that naturally are supposed to happen. Uh, one of the things that we always hate to see happen is the uh, periodic leaking of information about a game before it actually drops. Um, and all that is to say that uh, as of today, uh, one such leak has occurred. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but somebody managed to get their hands on a copy of of the collector's edition art book that comes packed in with the game and posted screen grabs of the pages of that art book online. Um, so if you are a person who is wanting to go into Tears of the Kingdom knowing absolutely nothing about it past what Nintendo has revealed already, I would definitely be very careful as you're kind of browsing the uh, social medias um, just understand that if you're on Twitter and you're searching Tears of the Kingdom, then it's entirely likely you're going to get some screens pop up that are showing things that you may not want to see just yet. So um, that being said, I, I have actually looked at them and uh, I thought it was very interesting and didn't find anything in there that I considered to be uh, too particularly spoilery. Still have no idea what the game's about. But, uh, you know. Just so everyone knows, if if you're careful about those kinds of things, then I would definitely uh, start being even more careful now uh, because we have a long way to go before this game comes out still. So. Yeah. And our official statement, you can see on our Twitter, uh, we, we tweeted about it just a little bit before this episode went live as well. We will not be sharing any spoilers or leaks about Tears of the Kingdom on this page or the podcast. Um we will be limiting all of our discussions and any tweets or anything to officially released multimedia from Nintendo. Um, and if you are looking to go into Tears of the Kingdom knowing absolutely nothing, we will do everything we can to appropriately uh, spoil, uh, tag anything that we post or talk about on the pod. So you can skip that if you want. But uh, just be careful out there. Keep your uh, eyes clean and uh, don't give leakers any more power than they already have. The ship, it's a leaking. And uh, yeah, we will definitely not be covering it with any sort of specificity. So there you go. That is that is our gift to you, our listeners. All right. Well, without further ado, let's talk about what we played this week. We do that every week, of course, in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six part analysis <laughs> of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Oh, uh, I, I should say it's usually a six-part analysis. God only knows how many extra parts Cody showed up uh, with for us on this episode. That's uh, that's truly the the gift of Cody Davies is the uh, is the extended Sacred Realms rundown. And He's the gift that keeps on giving I, and giving I, I, and giving I'm, and giving and giving. I, I'm excited to see where this lands us. So I will amend this statement to say the Sacred Realms rundown is a. Is an analysis of indeterminate length about the, the piece of game we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Uh, today we are covering A Link Between Worlds Chapter 2, Part 1 of the Sacred Realms Rundown, is the plot recap this week read by Matt. Take it away, Matt. As we set off on this new adventure, we decide to head to Kakariko Village first to stock up on needed supplies and any useful items that we can get our hands on. There, we find a shield to purchase, as well as a bottle, and even talk to the local bee enthusiast who agrees to lend us his net, as long as we promise to bring him bees every once in a while. 
We visit the local milk bar to fill up our bottle with locally sourced, delicious, nutritious milk, and then head off north towards the mountains. As we head north, we are suddenly accosted by a young witch on a flying broomstick who introduces herself as Irene and tells us that her fortune teller told her something about being visited by a terrible fate if she doesn't take care of green. Seeing our green clothing, she assumes that it is us that she must assist, so offers to fly us around to any of the weather vanes that we have previously discovered instead of being forced to walk there. She tosses us a magical bell that will call her to us when we ring it, and then zooms away. As we continue northward, we start heading east towards the mountain range, and begin to encounter more and more heavy rocks that seem to have been dislodged during the earthquake. We eventually come to a house that is totally wrecked by these boulders, and head inside to see if anyone needs help. We find one of the local miners, and he is busy clearing the debris from his house. Rosso is his name, and he turns to see us there, and tells us how his house was nearly destroyed by these falling rocks from the nearby mountains, and now he has the laborious task of cleaning it all up. We express our regret that we can't help him, but we're unable to lift these heavy stones. He's a little shocked by this, since as a blacksmith's apprentice, he assumed we would be a little stronger, but offers us his extra pair of power gloves to close the strength gap. These sturdy leather gloves on, we are easily able to lift and throw the heavy stones. We decide to help him out in return for the gloves and clear his yard of all the rocks that we can find. In gratitude, he pays us an additional 50 rupees, and we head off towards the mountains again. We reach the mountain pass, only to find it blocked by more stones. It's a good thing that we visited Rosso first, as we can now clear the path and head into the tunnels using the new power gloves. We find the tunnel full of small worm-like creatures and pottery. We smash everything on our way and come out the other side to the foothills of Death Mountain. True to its name, Death Mountain has plenty of deadly enemies and environmental hazards. Falling boulders and quick little enemies called dead rocks fill the landscape. Hitting these dead rocks only turns them to stone for a short time, so we have to head past their territory after stunning them to avoid any unwanted entanglements. The mountainside is full of rooms we can enter and we find lots of rupees, but come to a passageway that is completely impassable through normal means. On top of the rolling boulders, there are holes in the ground that we can't jump over. However, we still have the power of Ravio's bracelet that allows us to merge into the stone walls on the sides of the passageway. We use this power to not only avoid the boulders, but safely skirt the bottomless pits and progress to the next tier of mountain pass. We continue using the power of the Walmer to traverse Death Mountain, and along the way find more rupees, a fountain with magical fairies, and even a heart piece to increase our life force. Eventually we come to the entrance to the Tower of Hera, but find it blocked by large wooden posts that we can't chop down or merge past. There are stone pillars nearby, similar to those near the Eastern Palace, but with an etched hammer symbol on them instead of a bow. Thinking of how we rented the bow from Ravio, we hit the weather vane near the tower entrance and call Irene to take us back home. We find that Ravio has taken the liberty of turning our cozy home into a full-on shop and has lined the walls with items for rent. While he is excited to see us and very proud of his work, we swallow our anger for now as we see the very hammer that we need on a nearby table. We go to grab it and head out, because Ravio is living literally rent-free in our house, so we feel entitled to borrowing these items. 
but he has the further audacity to charge us 50 rupees for the rental fee. We need the hammer and don't really feel like arguing, so we pay up and head back to the Tower of Hera with Irene's help. From the outside, we can see that the tower is tall and imposing, with stones as ancient as the mountain itself. The stories of old tell us that the ancient hero passed trials in this very tower in his own journey, so we know that what awaits us inside will be no easy task. As we head inside, the tower is every bit as imposing on the inside as it was on the outside. The ancient stones don't smell of dust and sand like the eastern palace. Instead, the whole place is hot and smells of ash like the volcano that surrounds us. The red brick evokes the danger of the active volcano on which we stand, and the sturdy walls tell the tale of a tower that has stood for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and will remain standing long after our bones are dust. Immediately, we see the spiked traps and the large spring traps along the floor. The back wall has a gated window that looks like we could squeeze through it if we merged into the wall, but we don't see any immediate solution to getting up high enough to do so. We walk around a bit, exploring the space, and finally come up with a rather therapeutic solution of hitting the nearest spring trap with our handy new hammer. It depresses into the ground and we hop on top, and just as we hoped, it pops us up in the air onto a nearby platform, allowing us to merge into the wall and squeeze through the barred windows. A nice 50 rupee piece awaits us on the outer ledge, but we now have a way of traversing this very tall tower that for some reason has no stairs. We start moving through the dungeon, utilizing the spring traps and our hammer to move ever upward. Along the way, we find more enemies, including the undead Stalfos, and some new blue beetle enemies that bounce us around when we hit them with our sword. Some red turtles that are invulnerable while on their four feet also join the fray, but we figure out to flip them onto their soft bellies with a powerful swing from the hammer. As we go further up, we find more and more tests of wit as we combine wall merging with hammer swings. Moving platforms along the outside of the tower help us ascend further when the path inside is blocked, and we plunder the tower for all of its riches as we explore every nook and cranny. Eventually, we find a big key that we know will unlock the room holding our final trial, and we head to the very top of the tower to find that trial. With some precise timing of the spring trap and a moving platform, we reach the roof and find a gigantic version of the very small worm things that were in the tunnel entrance to Death Mountain. We have heard many, 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 many tales of this creature in legend and know it to be called Muldorm. The tales all tell of this creature being slain by various heroes who slice its fast-moving tail over and over again until the creature explodes. So we jump up onto the platform to do just that. Moldorm is on a raised chain link platform and below it are spike traps that are just waiting for us to be knocked off and into their waiting embrace. We move around the platform, avoiding the impenetrable head of Moldorm, trying to get a swing at its tail. As we land our first blow, the creature begins to move faster in its pain and anger. And so we have to likewise quicken our pace to stay ahead. Again and again, we slice the monster's tail until it finally explodes, just like in the stories of old. Out of the sky, a red pendant appears, much like the one Zelda gave us, but bearing the symbol of three wavy lines instead of that of the crescent moon. 
The Pendant of Power is now in our hands, and combined with the Pendant of Courage, we have two of the three needed to prove ourselves worthy of wielding the Master Sword. With the last pendant housed far in the south in the House of Gales, we make our way to leave this fiery tower and on to the next challenge. Let's go ahead and then get into part two, which is our takes, where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. So, Cody, I am going to I'm going to shoot this over to you real quick and, uh, you know, just give you a minute to uh, give us your off the cuff impressions about about how this game is landing for you on this replay um, and in this specific section. And how many replays is this for you? Yeah. Yeah, I so I've, I've played. I've played through it. I don't know two or three times in full probably. I'm not a I'm not a major replay. I I'm the kind of person who replays something once I've forgotten it rather than replaying it once a year. Um, so you know I've played I've, I've played it two or three times. Um, I sort of just jumped in basically yesterday to be like I can catch up with the first the first two dungeons um, of this game pretty quickly and just went through. And so I'm, I'm, I'm fresh. I'm uh, very recently just played through the, uh, through this section of the game. Um, And yeah, the part that stands out to me is I sort of mentioned it before, but just the reward, the way that it rewards you for exploration and curiosity where it's clear that they must have had, I don't know, playtesters or something, and then being like, so what did those playtesters check? Like what areas were they looking for stuff in? Let's add a little thing here to say congratulations. Um, One part that stood out to me was in the pre, I don't know if um, you two ran into this, but when you need to get power gloves in the house um, to be able to get up to this dungeon, there is um, there's a house and there's a bunch of rocks outside and there's sort of a hint that like oh it sure would be great if there was some if someone would clear out the rocks and you don't have to do it um, but if you do if you're just like all right let's just clear out all the rocks the you'll get you know you'll get called out too and he'll be like hey come in here's fifty rupees and that's just the kind of thing that I really love in in a game like this. That that moment is definitely a very classic top-down Zelda moment where it's an item that you do definitely need to progress through the overworld. There's no character that's really giving you a hint as to where you need to go to find the power glove, right? Right. Um, the big thing that you kind of have to rely on is that you you can see that you're blocked by rocks. You know you can't lift them. And Rosso's house is not too terribly far away from that doorway, right? And it's again surrounded by those rocks so you have a lot of context clues that sort of help you along to try and to get that um but yeah this was this was definitely a very you know a very top-down zelda moment um and a a very top-down zelda way to collect such an important item yeah and i think you know it's because I, i went and collected a whole bunch of stuff that i needed um just from wandering around in the world i was like oh let's you know just let's wander around a little, do some stuff. And, you know, so I ended up getting the, uh, the item you need for the next dungeon, um, as well, since, since it's sort of in a, uh, split, uh, since you can do these, these next two in any order and you actually had the other one listed first. 
I know. And I actually, I do need to take a second to talk about that real quick and to apologize. We do have a corrected schedule up on social media and everything right now. But I, I know the initial schedule that we posted had House of Gales listed before Tower of Hera in our play schedule. And I'm not really sure why that was, because when I sat down to type it out, I knew that I wanted to do Tower of Hera first. So I'm not sure exactly how I flubbed that, but I did. Um, so sorry if that uh, created a confusing situation for anybody getting ready to play this week. Um, we will be doing the House of Gales next weekend. But uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely what you're talking about, though, Cody. This is a, a, a section of the game in which it does open up pretty considerably. Um, you know, obviously there's quite a lot more opening up it still has left to do. But you could go to one of two dungeons at this point, and um, an, an, a major item is required to get into either of those. And so there's there's definitely quite a lot of of kind of exploring and poking around in the overworld that you can do at this point, which is uh, which is fun. It's always really fun when these games open up in this way early on. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did a lot of exploring in the northern portion of the map, um, mostly because that's obviously where the Tower of Hera was. So I was trying to limit my exposure to everything else so that we had more to talk about week week to week, right? So um, I did a lot of northeastern exploration and um, was having a lot of fun with it. More fun than I even had in A Link to the Past, even though they're the same overworld for some reason. It was more engaging this time around. Um, I think part of that is I went to Ravio and bought all the items about every item Ooh, because risky. I have, I had enough rupees. What rented, rented? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Rented indeed. Um, and you know, I have, I still have at the end of this week, 1500 rupees now. So if I were to <laughs> die and lose them all, I could go re rent them again. If I were unfortunate enough to, for that to happen to me. So I, I really enjoy for some reason, normally I don't, want to just have everything open right out of the gate but maybe after you know wind waker and breath of the wild where that is more normal um to just go and do um up front and especially after wind waker when i tried to do that and couldn't um and was frustrated it was very rewarding to be able to do a lot of exploration now i don't have like the zora flippers so i couldn't do any water exploration and i don't and i got the power gloves and pretty much immediately went into the mountains to try to you know do what i was supposed to do for this week um but it was really good it was really good and um i stumbled across the power gloves like just accidentally because i was walking around just poking my nose into every nook and cranny i could find and it's like oh this dude's or this house looks like it's uh, abandoned because it's totally effed up and then this dude's in there and he's like ah here help me clear these rocks here's some gloves oh cool yeah i need those thanks man so it was it was good I, i liked i liked the way that the the natural progression and the natural reward for just being curious and poking your nose into places uh, worked out well in this instance. So I am I am curious, Cody, um, going off of what Matt said about his strategy for item rental. Are you one of those people who just who grabs the whole suite of things immediately and just carries them around basically from the get-go or do you have a little bit more of a cautious approach to uh to item renting um knowing that if you fall in battle then he takes all of them back and then you have to pay lots of money to rent them all out again um it's a mix like this time around i think i grabbed um 
I grabbed the, the two items I needed for the two upcoming dungeons. I grabbed the bombs because they're just useful. Um, and I grabbed, um, I think, the boomerang maybe. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a whole lot you can do. And this is another, another game that's sort of like a little awkward with your format of just like there's going to get to a point where there's like five dungeons you could be doing and are you going to restrict your exploration activities to a particular area or, you know, or what to sort of balance that out? I don't know. That's up to you. But like it's sort of a the structure of the game means that you can go around doing a whole bunch of stuff up front. Like I could collect a whole lot of pieces of hardened things if I grabbed the, you know, the hook shot and everything else yeah. and knew where to go. Yeah, there is. So I will say without being too specific about it, when you get into the to the back half of this game, um, all of those dungeons, there's a system by which they are geographically segmented from each other. And uh, and so that does make it that I think that will make it a little bit easier when we get into that back half to be just like, you know, OK, we're we're going to go off towards trying to tackle this dungeon. And so we're basically just going to be taking care of stuff in that little geographical section of the map, you know, um, but but it is still a very good point. Like, I think there is enough freedom that we could we could be doing a lot more week to week. Uh, then we will probably be deciding to do. And I would not be surprised if lots of our listeners are choosing to do that. Yeah, or just wandering it. Because if you wander in the northern part of the map, then in this in this example, you're getting stuff for the other dungeon as well. You know, like right. it's, it's not all necessarily, you know, completely segmented that way. Yeah, no, you're right, and it's a it's a good point. It's as with uh, some of the other games that we've played, um, it's definitely something that we're going to be kind of talking about a lot as we go further into the game. Um, I know, like with Breath of the Wild specifically, that was always kind of a a risk. Was just like, man, this is a game that we just want to do a whole bunch of exploration in, but we're talking about one thing this week, and we've got to try and stay a little bit focused on that one thing. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely something that is going to be a balancing act going forward but uh it is fun because we do get into a very different area of the overworld this week um, than we saw in the first week we make our ways uh, up to death mountain there's obviously a lot to do up there um and like you said cody if you did rent more items up front hook shots and that kind of thing there's even more exploration that you can do so um that is a lot of fun um i will say that as somebody playing on hero mode so last week i did not have any problems uh staying alive at all um, but this area of the map is definitely very difficult when everything does four times the damage that it does in the regular mode. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this chunk of game that can and will one hit you when you only have four hearts. Uh, and I, I going up death mountain, I imagine would be, oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. So the boulders can one hit you. So, uh, th- none of those took me down this time. Um, I did get a, uh, I, I had an unfortunate run in with an electric chew and those are a one-hit KO on hero mode <laughs> at four hearts, which I did not remember. Um, so that was highly unfortunate. Uh, and then there was, uh, you know, then even when I got into the dungeon, there were several things that were pretty, pretty, uh, pretty damaging and caused me a little bit of grief when I was in there. But you know, I, I like that element of difficulty. This is how I keep um, 
these games interesting for myself having them played like having played them a lot of times before you know um and and it's definitely a a fun way for me to kind of to keep the keep the tension up just a little bit but i I understand that it's definitely not that way for everybody um so matt you were saying that you were really enjoying this game's take on death mountain and i'd just like to know how how far past where you really needed to be did you go i mean you had the hook shot and all this other stuff yeah so i did venture uh past the tower of hera to the east ran into a lionel and uh promptly turned my happy ass around and went the other direction because woof even on non-hero mode one shot from those guys took me down to one heart and i was yep. like yep nope i'm not doing that right now and i shot him with a bow like probably five times and he was still just like not having it he was fine so i uh i turned my i turned around and uh went back to where i was kind of supposed to be um and as you're saying the dungeon kind of pushed you even on non-hero mode i got very close to dying in this dungeon multiple times including on the boss which we'll have discussions about of course but um yeah it was it was a challenging dungeon and it was a challenging area especially if you go past um if you go past the the Tower of Hera, um, where you're at, at right now without any defense upgrades or even any offense upgrades, you're still with the starting sword. Those enemies are beefy and um, mm-hmm. definitely not looking uh, to test that super early right now just because I'm still not 100% comfortable with the game. Um, so want to get to a better place before I start venturing into very high level enemy territory. Yeah. Um, I'm like you, Cody. I definitely, so as far as the items are concerned, I only took out the hammer and the bow and I, I always keep those. Um, but then I, I also always have the bombs. Uh, and those are the only things that I really ever, um, you know, this early in the game, make sure that I have in my inventory. The bombs are just too useful to have around. Um, yeah. And I, I basically always keep those. Well, yeah. I mean, you, I, you I like to a, into a wall that looks bombable and you don't have bombs. And that's just a tragedy. Especially always. when you can have the bombs. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And the, I liked that the hammer, I, I remembered before I picked up the hammer, I saw a lot of things that looked hammerable. When I picked it up, I went and tried to find them again um, and was pleasantly surprised that I remembered where most of those locations were that I had seen and uh, got some good stuff, mostly like 100 rupee chests and whatnot. Um, so that was nice. But uh, I did a fun, fun puzzle. Um I don't remember where it was. I think it was in in Death Mountain. Um, there's a there's a thief in um, in a cave, and it's got a bunch of moving platforms that are all on different elevations. Mm. And if you have the wind rod or whatever that helicopters you up straight in the air, you can actually like solve this puzzle room. And it's got a lot of rupees in it. It's it's like I think it was 250 or 300 rupees total. Yeah, uh, if you do the whole a little mini puzzle room. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that uh, little challenge. And so having all of the items was very helpful. Um, it threw me off a little bit actually in death mountain. And I have to admit that I sort of forgot the merging into walls thing for a minute, or I at least didn't realize that I could do that on natural walls. I thought you could only do do it on brick. Yeah. So, I was like trying to use the helicopter thing to go over the the pits where the boulders are rolling inside. Um, and obviously that didn't work. And then um, it took me 
an embarrassingly long amount of time to be like, Oh, I can just merge into this wall and, and walk across. And, um, so still getting used to it a little bit, I think, but, uh, and, and having those extra items did throw me off in that very specific instance. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I like having them because I was able to do something like that and it was fun. Yeah. Uh, somebody did mention in our Discord last week, and apologies to whoever this was because I, I don't remember off the top of my head, uh, but it was mentioned that the wall merging mechanic is definitely one that uh, I think for people who haven't played this game a lot and don't have as much muscle memory with it, I can see where it would be something that you occasionally forget that you can do early in the game just because it's such a new thing for a Zelda game, and it, it it's so far outside of... Um, the way that you're used to being able to interact with a top-down Zelda world. So yep. definitely something that you kind of have to keep top of mind, you know, as you're, as you're still getting accustomed to it. Yeah. I, I that's really where I'm at. And that was Nick D TV, by the way. Okay, cool. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, once I remembered that you could do that, it opened up the rest of death mountain for me to explore. Right. And I did as much nook and cranny exploration on the way up to the tower of hair that I could. And I abused that to the point that I was, I was starting to run into like, if there's the little pebbles on the, it's like a textured wall. Yeah. yeah. You can't go past that. And so I, I learned that and, um, yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, it was, it was very enjoyable and rewarding uh level of exploration in in that area yeah did either of you make a point to go visit mother Mai and discover that for the first time before you went off and started heading heading up towards death mountain or over to house of gales or doing any of that other stuff i did not make a point to do it but i accidentally did it okay cool yeah I, cool i did do it um intentionally because i remember the game and it is what unlocks the collectibles out in the world so um that you know the the equivalent of the korok seeds or the gold sculptures or etc um and so it's you know worth getting in there early and unlocking it yeah i actually i was kind of i was a little annoyed with myself because i went straight up to the tower of hera and unlocked that weather vane and uh so like i i knew that that my, my plan was always to get all the way up there and get that weather vane and then go back down to Ravio and get the hammer and then just fly back again, you know? Um, and I really wish that I had thought to go uh, unlock Mother Mai Mai first because I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, the baby Mai Mais that I could have found in Death Mountain on my way up um, that I'm now going to have to, like, go back for, which mm. is kind of a pain. Um, but, yeah, just a, just a quick tip for anybody listening that if you – especially if you have never played this game before, I would definitely grab the bombs and run over towards Lake Hylia. There's a bombable cave there. And, uh, yeah, Mother Mai Mai, who's this uh, this mystical octopus critter – lives in there um she's very pleasant very mm, she's polite. very nice yeah very cheery character and uh once you have spoken with her for the first time you start a side quest where you're trying to return all 100 of her babies to her they're scattered all throughout uh all throughout the overworld um and then every 10 of those that you get uh you can actually once you have an item purchased permanently from ravio which you can't actually do yet that doesn't unlock until later um but uh for every 10 my you save she will upgrade one of those items to its more powerful version so definitely a very very worthwhile thing to be doing i would say it's even more um it's more of an important thing to be doing than gold sculptulas 
for instance? Oh, yeah. Uh, out of all of the collectibles, um, most of them are pretty irrelevant. Like Korok seeds are useful up until the first, like, 200 or so, and then you're starting to get some major diminishing returns. Um, but this is one where this is, yeah, this is the means to your equipment upgrades. So definitely something that you could uh, take a look at. There's a very helpful little thing that, that segments the interregions to show how many are remaining uh, that I wish they did in, in other games. That's something I would add to Ocarina of Time if I could. A region indicator of yeah. where the remaining gold sculptures are. Having done a 100% completion playthrough of Ocarina of Time, including all gold sculptures, I totally agree with you in that because I remember trying to track down those last couple was very painful. Yeah. 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 No, it's definitely a very user-friendly system. Um, and actually talking about the map while we're at it, I, I did notice that one of the things that this map has that I'd completely forgotten about was a pin system where you can drop pins on the map um and remember to go check things out later uh, and i just i love when zelda games do that because um it's just such a it's such a user-friendly experience especially um in a game like this where exploration is such a big part of it and so often you're seeing things that you can't immediately interact with so i i always appreciate something like that being added so skyward sword had the pin system and obviously breath of the wild does is this the first Skyward Sword came out before this, so yeah. Skyward Sword was the first, and this is the second, and then Breath of the Wild is the third that had the pen system. I'm not sure is if anything accurate? before Skyward Sword had it. Do you remember off the top of your head if, if like Phantom Hourglass or Spirit Tracks did, Cody? Uh, sorry, which system is this? Uh, where you can drop pins on your oh, map. I, and... um, so Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks has some interesting map stuff because they're DS games that... Um, I think you'll find it interesting once you get to those games. Um, but I'm, I don't remember specifically about the pins, to be honest. You can, in Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, the ability to draw on maps um, is available, which is a real fun um, fun thing. Um, but I don't remember about the pins. Okay. Yeah, we might have to do a little extra research on that. But regardless, it was it was a really fun thing that I always I always appreciate seeing. Um, but, you know, I, I think that we've there's not too much to talk about here just from a general overworld standpoint. Right. Because um, we're definitely in kind of that post beginning of the game. Like these Zelda games typically um, have they're very front loaded with content. There's a middle section that has got a lot of content, right? And, mm -hmm. and that this takes place around major story beats, right? Like after you've collected the three things and gotten the Master Sword, then you've got another really big chunk, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then towards the end of the game, you'll have several more big chunks. This is definitely very much of just like a, okay, big chunk is out of the way. I know where I have to go to get my next thing. And it's mostly just... Uh, in, in terms of things that you have to do this week, it's mostly just getting from point A to point B and then doing the dungeon, right? Mm -hmm. So with all that being said, unless anybody has something that they really want to say about this section of the game generally, I say we move on to the dungeon map and start talking about the Tower of Hera. I second the dungeon map because lots to say. What you think, Cody? Does that work? Yeah, sounds good to me. Alrighty, well then let's get into part three, which is the dungeon map, where we talk about this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. The dungeon this week is the Tower of Hera, which is a reprised dungeon from A Link to the Past, much in the same way that the Eastern Palace was. Um, and I'm going to kick it over to you first, Matt, because it sounded like you had some things that you wanted to say. Yeah, I... Um 
I enjoyed this dungeon quite a lot. I think the vertical movement by the hammer with the springy trap things was good um, and fairly intuitive. Um, I think it took me not too terribly long to realize that um, if you hit it with a hammer, it would depress and then shoot you up almost like uh, the iron boots in Wind Waker. Right, right. Same kind of mechanic, right? So I, I enjoyed that. Um, hold on, I'm pulling up my handy dandy guide and my notes that I had written down so that I'm not forgetting anything. I try, um, to be prepared for our pod so that we don't just look like a bunch of amateurs running around, not knowing what we're doing after two and a half years of this pod. Um, and like it's, it's has a similar thing to the Eastern palace. I think where you're rewarded with, um, exploring every room and that's even further, um, iterated on now that you can you know wall merge and everything go outside go um go through some bars explore around look for uh chests and um man the compass in this game is so useful and so good and it like replaces the map like you don't have maps in this game it's just the compass yeah um but the fact that I can look at my compass and see, okay, there's like two chests that I haven't found yet. So now I'm going to go merge into every wall. I'm going to try to, um, you know, in, in this specific dungeon, shoot myself up to the, to the next level, drop down, drop back down at a different point, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it was really good. I, I generally usually like the, um, lighted switches, the blue to orange, um, switch mechanics. I think that that's a very good, um, puzzle, uh, and top downs, um, cause it separates and segregates the space. Um, and then also in this particular game, being able to use them to elevate yourself up a little bit, but not all the way up to the next, um, whole floor, I think is good. Um, and it was very nice having the bombs because I was able to use them instead of uh, to, to like time it a, a couple of times. So yeah. that, that was nice. Um, the outside sections of the dungeon with the moving platforms that you had to wall merge and then go around an obstacle. I thought that was a very innovative use of the mechanic and I thought it was well implemented and instituted properly. Um and just kind of gave another dimension to puzzle solving um, with the environment instead of just being another switch to hit. It's how do I use the tools that I have to get around this obstacle that is the environment or how do I wall merge onto this platform that's going up and down so that I can get off at the next level. All of that stuff was very, very well implemented and very well done. And I thought it was it was an excellent uh, dungeon from an exploration and puzzle solving standpoint for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think uh, vertical dungeons in Zelda games, when they're done well, are very dynamic and fun, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, th there's something that's so fun about removing the complexity of like a sprawling map in favor of just like ascending floors, you know? Yeah. Um, because then it just becomes about more it becomes more about just dealing with the challenges that are immediately present on that floor and not having a whole ton of confusion around where do I go next, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, which isn't to say that I want all top down Zelda dungeons to be like this. But when they when they do show up and when they're done well, they're a nice little uh, 
just kind of a nice little little palette cleanser, I think, is the best way that I could put it. Sure. And like this one wasn't as complicated as like Eagle Tower or something, right? Like they can in vertical dungeons, especially in top downs, can become overly complicated. And like I think this one avoided that pitfall well and a lot of that is just by virtue of the fact that the depth of field is something that works it's so, so well much game. better it's so much better yeah yeah like being able to see especially like the floors where you you bounce up and you're on like a chain link floor and you can see the floor below you and it's like it, it's it's it, like it's representative of what's actually happening down there like you see the enemies moving around in real time and everything and um and you can see below you especially i'm thinking specifically about the room where it's got the floor tiles that you can break with the hammer to see what's below it because right. on one side you have the bump back up to the next level but on the other side there's a chest that you can drop down and get and so you're able to do both of those things without having to memorize what the floor below you looks like because it's really like a half floor that you're going up and then so it, there's it's just it takes some of the guesswork out of it um, or some of the mental memorization of things um, and the way that they're able to do that with the 3DS and the updated graphics. Um, it just works so well and um, plays nicely, I think. So um, definitely a huge step forward in top down dungeons that are that are vertical based and yeah. um, that's something we could even see in the first game in the in the first part of the game where um you're going through the secret tunnel in the graveyard because the the chain link is above you and you can you can tell and it's like the yeah, yeah, yeah. just the depth of field is really huge yeah yeah uh cody what about you is this a dungeon that you particularly enjoy playing um yeah, I think I think it's a fun little dungeon. It's I think comparing it to a link to the past, which is the obvious comparison, because um, it's the same map and they've got dungeons with the same name. Um, like, yeah, I think I think the way that the way that the optional content is dealt with is is really um, a big step up because. I found it frustrating in A Link to the Past when there were routes that didn't go anywhere or that kind of thing that just like, you know, what they wanted was to have it so that, you know, there's a bit of a... Because for the first three Zelda games, they were doing the... There's fake rooms that lead to other fake rooms that aren't necessary, that kind of thing, to give it a bit more, yeah. you know, a bit more of an exploration feel. And I didn't really like that version of it, but... The way that they do it here, I think, really works. And, yeah, the vertical thing is another one that um, the graphics and capability of the engine make it much more bearable. Like, Because I get frustrated in, in other games where that you're meant to know that you should just fall down a hole that's identical to the high, kind of hole you take damage. Yeah. yeah. And I link to the past, yeah, there's one particular ice themed vertical dungeon in a link to the past that I found very frustrating. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember, <laughs> I remember that one oh, vividly. Uh, ice palace. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, the introduction of, uh, was that, which one was that? That was, that was Igor. Igor. That was Igor. Igor. Ah, my yeah. nemesis. But yeah, so I, I think it's, it's sort of a showcase. Like it's not particularly, groundbreaking as a dungeon or anything you know and it's it's short it's relatively easy once you remember that what 
what your buttons are and the fact that you can wall merge and all this kind of thing. But like, I think it's just a good showcase of like correcting some issues with game design that, you know, with the power of new hardware and all that kind of thing. Um, and I think that applies across the dungeons that in a link between worlds. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask, are either of you actually doing this in 3D? Are you using the 3D of the 3DS? <laughs> it's so, uh, no. <laughs> no, it's so funny because last week after we got done recording, uh, we, were, we were wrapping up and packing up all of our gear, and I turned to Matt and I was like, hey, should we have mentioned the 3D slider on this? And we just kind of, there was a pause, and we were both like, nah. nah. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's like, not really a thing. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so disappointing, too, because I remember when the 3DS first came out, um, obviously that was touted as its like main feature and it sounded exciting in its own way, like glasses free 3d adds more depth to the world. That whole thing. It sounds good. Right. Um, I in practice have never found it to be an enhancing, uh, thing. It just gives me a headache. Yeah. Like I've never found it to enhance my gameplay experience at all. And it's been 10 years or more since I've, since I've even tried to use it for anything. Yeah, I tried to use it when I was first playing Ocarina of Time uh, when it came out on the 3DS remaster, and it just didn't do anything for me there. And ever since then, like you said, Cody, it just drains the battery faster, and I don't want that. So uh, I just keep it off. Yeah. And this is what it is. And to, to the point especially where, so I'm playing this game on my my Majora's Mask 3ds um but i actually rotate between that one and my my pikachu face 2ds xl Mm -hmm. and uh which obviously that doesn't have a 3d slider at all because at some point nintendo i think kind of realized that like oh hey nobody uses this um nobody cares about this um and so yeah and so for that reason i touch it even less now because i don't want to like confuse myself you know Mm -hmm. And have it be something that I use on one of my systems, but, but not the not other available on the other one. You yeah, know? yeah. It's, it's not necessary for this game. It, I mean, look, it's not that it's never been useful. There are games that are built with it as a mechanic. I think Super Mario 3D Land is one. Um, so that's the, the 3DS version is one where it's useful in a two and a half D kind of situation to be to understand depth perception and stuff. Um, but for this game. I, I don't think there's I don't think you're missing out on much if you just play the 2DS version. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. And, and you know, all that being said, especially uh, to all of our listeners, if you are playing this and you're using the 3D slider and if you're finding it to be fun, then, you know, drop us a note about that. We'd uh, you know, I hate to be dismissive of something, especially if other people do find it to be you know, useful or fun or an addition to their oh, yeah. gameplay experience. But it's yeah, look, it's not a bad system. Um, I would use it more if I had a consistent posture, like, and if I wasn't like L from death note crouched up in weird shapes on the couch, um, (laughs) sideways, um, you know, because, well, that's another thing is the 3ds just talking about it as a system, I guess it's a little, you know, just getting back into having, like, I don't know, the weight of the system, the sort of where, where you hold it, how you hold it, where you're sitting when you hold it, all that kind of thing, I just sort of had to get back into it because I haven't used the 3DS really in years. Um, and 
I'm used to the Switch now. Um, I will say my hands hurt a little bit playing this game. Yeah, yeah I wish it was <laughs> a little bit larger. <laughs> yeah, that... I wish it was on the Switch. Yeah. <laughs> I wish everything was on the Switch. <laughs> right, so like, yeah, so one thing is I just wish it was on the Switch, but secondly, it's just sort of like, yeah, my hands, I don't know, my left hand particularly seems to, I don't know, just, I don't know if it's weight distribution or something, but like, you know, ache a little after a while. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's my, it's not really a critique of the game, but uh, just of the, getting used to playing it on this system again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will say that I I do wish that I had just kind of cranked the slider up a little bit in this dungeon specifically, just to see what the feel would have been like, knowing that it does have so many areas of, of depth from like one floor to the next. Um, and, and you know, maybe if I, if I find myself in a similar situation later in the game, then I will do that and I'll report back and I'll let you know if I feel that it added anything cool to the experience. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely didn't, didn't really touch it this time around. Um, I, I agree with everything that we're really saying about the structure of this dungeon, though. I think that this is a really fun dungeon. It has a lot less in common with its Link to the Past counterpart than Eastern Palace did, right? It's almost, it's not the, not the same dungeon at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we're back to the conversation I was having last week of like, who comes into these and changes them between games? Right. You know? <laughs> but, so someone uh, did some major uh, re-architectural engineering there. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's the it's the Hyrule Historical Society came in and did some uh, did some refurbishments. Era, the wife of Zeus, who uh, <laughs> is, so. always fun getting back to our discussion of real world mythological references in this fictional Zelda game. But um but no, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really fun little dungeon. I particularly like the mechanic of so with the big switches, when you bump them down and they're on moving platforms, you have to time it right. Yeah. So that when the platform moves into a specific place just at the right time for the thing to bounce back up and shoot you up to where you want to be. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's a fun little thing. And, uh, I, I like having little puzzles like that to think through. Um, but yeah, I mean, exactly what you were talking about before though, Cody, one of the reasons that this dungeon is so fun to me is just because talking about that sense of space, it's not just the inside of the dungeon that we're exploring. You know, we're, we're kind of dangling over the precipice on the outside of the dungeon for a lot of it. Um, and I think that's one of the that's one of the neat little things that the the wall hack or not the wall hack the uh, the wall merging gimmick really affords us in this game is the opportunity to um, to really get outside of the physical dungeon space and for things to open up just a little bit. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, and I will say again, so going back to the the conversation about combat that we were having earlier, I was legitimately uh, challenged. Not by the density of enemies or even necessarily the difficulty of enemies mm -hmm. in this dungeon, but like when you only have four hearts and everything does at least two hearts worth of damage to you, you you do have to be careful, you know? Um, and this dungeon has got a lot of areas where you've got, you know, uh, like a whole pack of Stalfos that you have to deal with or those little bumper enemies. The you know? bumper enemies, I think, are the hardest ones for me because they just knock you all around. And it's not as punishing as it was in A Link to the Past, where if you get knocked down to the bottom floor, you then lose all perspective on where you were and where you are. So that's, again, a nice thing about the engine. Um, but 
Yeah, those bumper enemies are kind of annoying, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I will say that I did. So I died in this dungeon once, and so I got shooped all the way back out. To, are you keeping track of how many deaths you have in no, Master I'm Mode? Not, no, I'm not. On Ocarina of Time and other games like that, I definitely I like to do that just because I'm so much more familiar with those games, and so I feel that it's pretty fair of me to at least attempt to do it without dying at all. Hold you know? yourself to a higher standard. Yeah, this game. Sorry, Does it have it on the on the save screen? Because I know a link. Sorry, I know Link's Awakening does. Um, like he a- actively so. keeps track of your deaths. I don't think so. Mostly because this doesn't have a save screen. <laughs> or you mean like when you're doing? Oh, save select screen. Yeah, Got it. it. Okay. It does well, not. Let it, me look. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was looking for it the other night and I didn't see it anywhere. Um, well, I'm going to boot it up and look. I think when you beat the game, it will tell you how many times you died, like at the end of the uh, credits, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, because some of them, because Link's Awakening specifically, I guess, as a challenge run kind of thing, like makes it pretty upfront about how much you've died. But I think this one might just have it as a little detail in the credits or something like that. Yeah, but when I did die, so obviously I, I it, it will let you restart from the dungeon if you want to. I'm curious why you would do that this early in the game because when you die the items that you need to be solving the dungeon puzzles go straight back to ravio so got to go back to ravio first got to re-rent the hammer and the bow and the bombs for me go back up to the tower of hera i unfortunately died before i got to the mid dungeon checkpoint Ooh, mm-hmm. so you had to do the whole thing all over yeah, again so, ah. I, so i had to climb all the way back up through the entire dungeon again which you know it went pretty quick but still kind of a kind of a pain in the butt yeah yeah no i i died one time on my way uh through it wasn't actually here i di- i died against yuga because i was being very lazy and i forgot that i had a bow um and then some some guys would appear and i'd fight them and i'd lose the heart um and then i died and i was like all right the bow uh, <laughs> and then then it was easy uh but uh but yeah, no, it's I don't know. I think it's an interesting challenge, and especially with the added the added aspect of, uh, of the repo bird that comes to collect your stuff. Um, it's an interesting little challenge. The repo bird, <laughs> love that. The what bird? Repo bird. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I have not died yet, luckily. Um, so hoping to continue that streak yeah, for as long say, as possible. You, yeah, I was gonna say you're one death away from being completely bankrupt. Nah. Like I still have thirteen hundred rupees. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, real quick, Matt, you were you were mentioning the music in this dungeon. I did just want to follow up from what we were talking about last week with a confirmation that yes, the three Hyrule dungeons all feature the same dungeon theme, which is that awesome reprise of the Link to the Past dungeon music. So, yep, there you go. Now we know. Uh, but so okay, <clears throat> we've talked about the mechanics of the dungeon. Does anyone else have anything they want to say about? Uh, the area before the boss before we go and talk about the boss. I have nothing to add. Cool. Well, with all that being said, I was actually, I was realizing the other day, I was listening back to some of our old episodes. I, I start segues with with all that being said, quite a lot. All the time. All the time. Every single time. I'm trying to do that less. So bear with me. So with all of that not being said. (laughs) 
with nothing having previously been said. Um, no, let's talk about uh, the boss of this dungeon, which is, of course, our old friend Moldorm. Uh, the recurring fiend. The hamburglar. <laughs> the the hamburglar himself. Um, yeah, yeah, looking significantly less tasty in this version than he has in the past, I have to say. I think something about those those bright pixel graphics of A Link to the Past made that look like a much tastier burger than this does. Yeah, he doesn't look particularly appetizing these no, days. not at all, not at all. Look, what else is there to say? This, was, this is maybe the most quintessential of top-down Zelda bosses, right? We've fought Moldorm a hundred times. You know the deal. Hit him in the tail. If you get knocked off the arena, you fall down. Fight restarts. He gets all his health back. Tail is old as time. But it does not restart in this one. No. Oh, I didn't fall off this time. I just assumed that that really worked. This is is Moldorm with a safety net. The fight continues. You don't get knocked out of the the room, you know. Well, you get knocked below, but it doesn't treat that as, you know, loading screen you're in a different building kind of, you know, thing. So it, it does continue the fight. So it is a it is a much nicer um, you know, the what's what's that in bowling with the bumpers on version of Moldor? Oh, it's like uh yeah, but bowling, right? You like you just Yeah, 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 B- bumper yeah, bowling, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly, bumper bowling. Yeah. No, that's a good way to describe it. That's cool. I had no idea. I didn't get hit by the boss because uh again, this is one of those things that will one hit KO you um in the hero mode version of the game, and so I was very 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 cautious while while I was doing this fight with Moldorm. Um I actually pretty much did this whole entire fight keeping the little gap in the middle of the arena between myself and Moldorm and just firing arrows across. Ooh, to hit the tail. smart. Uh, the 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 first two hits when he's still moving pretty slow, I did with the sword. But after that, I was just like, nope, we're creating distance and I'm just going to lob some arrows. And I do have to say, um, uh, that was a fun little challenge. And I was, I was impressed by my own marksmanship. Like I actually managed to do that without having to spend too terribly much time on it. So a little pat on the back for myself. My, my bow skills are decent, decent at best. There you go. Well, you, you, you did it. Yeah. You, you did it without, I assume without taking a hit. Well, yeah, I had to. Yeah, because otherwise you die. Me. Yeah, Fair no, enough. I did not. I did not die fighting Moldorm. I did my tried and true method of stick your sword out in front of you whenever he's running around. That way, if he runs into you, your sword is your buffer, and it just knocks you off instead of damaging you. Yeah, and uh, that way you also have the added benefit of being able to do a swing attack, which does a lot more damage. So uh, killed him fairly quickly, but. It was not foolproof this time around because I almost died. Um, I don't know exactly how, but he he circumvented my defenses multiple times. Uh, luckily, they have all those hearts that are um, on the bottom level where if you uh, merge into the walls, then uh, they have there's I think there's like six hearts down there that you can uh, that you can get. So um, I was able to stay alive and uh, complete the fight and uh bring Moldorm to his knees for the millionth time if he even has knees I, I don't think you he were sir finishing this fight <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you for the halo 2 reference cool there you go yeah it was for you I appreciate you yeah I mean so here's my question for you Cody uh 
have you reached your capacity for the amount of fun that you can possibly have fighting Moldorm, or could you, much like Captain America, do this all day? Oh, I mean, I, I think I could do this all day. It just, <laughs> as long as Moldorm just keeps getting longer, um, like a game of Snake. <laughs> <laughs> I want that now. Why hasn't that happened? I feel like it should happen. Like uh, Moldorm perfected. Now he's like, <laughs> it's like a cross between Moldorm and a Hydra, right? Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, that sounds like my worst nightmare. Infinitely expanding. Jeez. Uh, Look, you know, I, it's fun. I understand why they keep going back to this boss because he has a very long history in the Zelda series. And it is like it, it does continue to be difficult in its own special way just by virtue of the fact that like it's distilling the combat experience down to two very simple factors, one of which is a fast moving enemy and the other is your fixed level of movement speed. Right. And aside from that, there's just no no fancy gimmicks, no frills, no nothing. It's just a pure distillation of the top-down Zelda combat system. And so for that reason, it is it is fun and it is uh it, it is an enduring part of these games, and I would hate to see it go. Uh but yeah, you know, maybe in the future I, I would I would love to see a slightly more difficult or expanded version of this of this boss fight. Um, I got to believe that in the year 2035, when we get another top down Zelda game, Moldorm is probably going to be in that. So if you're listening, Nintendo, uh, you know, throw us a bone, do something new with Moldorm. Yeah. And, and, but like, would you say that Moldorm is fun or is he just iconic? Uh, it's fun enough in its own way. I wouldn't say that like, um, I don't know. It's, it's not like, it's not the most fun I've ever had playing Zelda, but it's fun enough to where I don't like tear my hair out when I'm about to go fight Moldorm. It just it's 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 fine. You know, it's uh, it's perfectly OK. Yeah, I think that's where I land with Moldorm in general as well Is like it just kind of is what it is. And I don't like look forward to fighting Moldorm. I don't like dread fighting Moldorm necessarily, but um. Eh, yeah, it's there. He, she, it, they, whatever. The this creature uh, is there, and uh, it just kind of is what it is, I guess. So, have we ever had a situation where we fight two Moldorms at the same time? Uh, I can't think of like one, but that seems like something that should happen. Mold? Twin, tw- twin, twin, mold. twin mold, <laughs> <laughs> twin mold orm, D- uh, maybe. Um, nah, yeah. The Jorah's mask when you're the giant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess yes. That's got a lot more going on with it, but uh, but sure, I'll give it uh, I'll give it seventy five percent credit. <laughs> Just for the name coincidence. Just for the name coincidence alone. Yeah, it made me think for a second. I had to stop and go. Oh, hmm. hmm. Are they go. are those monsters related in some way? Right. Hmm, maybe. Cool. Cool. All right. There's really not much else to say here. Uh, does anybody have any any last um, points of great interest that they would like to get out of the way about Tower of Hera before we move on in this episode? Well, I will say um, with everything being available to you, there are a lot of things that you could do with <clears throat> if you wanted to defeat if you wanted to entertain yourself defeating the boss in various ways, um, you know, with a, a bow or a hook shot or jumping up uh, flying up in the air to avoid it um, with the with the little gale rod. Um, 
you know, there's it gives you a lot of options for ways to ways to defeat the boss, which isn't always um, isn't always the case in Zelda. Can the hookshot be used to damage Moldorm? I'm not sure. I I didn't bring the hookshot, um, but something to something to try out. I would assu- I would assume at the very least the bombs can. Uh, in fact, I know the bombs can, and obviously the bow can as well. So that is a really good point, Cody. I think even with just those two things, which um, I think, especially for somebody who got to this point without having died after the first section of game, you know, they'll still have the bow with them. And so um, definitely just another tool in your arsenal that could make this, you know, serve to kind of shake up this fight a little bit more so than it would otherwise be. So that's a really good point. Um, uh, Fire rod. I wonder if the fire rod would do it. Further, good question. Yeah. Further, further exploration and research might be, might be warranted. I'm kind of curious about this now. Okay. Well, uh, now that we're done talking about our eternally resurrected foe, the scourge of Hyrule, Moldorm, right? (laughs) Um, let's go ahead and get into part four, which is Blue Trails, where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention this week. I'm gonna let you go first, Cody. Is there anything fun, any side business that's, uh, that that really grabbed your attention while you were playing this week. Um, I think I'll give a special shout out to the milk bar, um, where you can uh, put in a put in a song request and they'll play some um, some great covers of Zelda music from past games. Yeah, I went in there and did that, and I only I only played one, and I couldn't actually even tell off the top of my head which track it was a reprise of. It sounded familiar. I know it's from A Link to the Past. I want to say it was maybe a dungeon theme. Uh, not exactly sure. But uh, yeah, there's definitely some, some really cool stuff that you can hear in there. Uh, it's a fun little diversion, uh, a nice little Easter egg. Um, the Milk Bar in general, I think, is is just such a fun quirky little concept that zelda keeps revisiting um as an as an adult i have never encountered a milk bar before (laughs) um but uh but you know i'd go i'd give it a try if for no other reason just than just to fulfill my the novelty the novelty the zelda of it all i'm not sure because i think it's a recurring joke in censorship and that kind of thing basically to be like oh yeah the drinking milk like I think it might have been Dragon Ball where Master Roshi has milk edited in because um, he's definitely oh really the alcohol yeah oh for sure yeah Matt. definitely it, it would it would slightly go against the the Zelda vibe if Link was doing like shots at the bar right so <laughs> that sounds like a Link I'd want to hang out with I mean he's doing <laughs> like, shots with magic milk so whatever, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> Here, here we have air quotes around magic milk. Magic milk, right? yes. Yeah, it's so magical. Uh, no, the, the milk bar is always a fun one to visit. I So uh, for myself, I, I, I did a little bit of uh, Mayamai collecting. After I went back down and got the hammer, I remember, and, and then got the bombs, I remembered I was like, oh, I should probably go unlock this room before I make it too much further. Um, and so there were one or two that I managed to grab after I unlocked that before I went back up to the Tower of Hera to beat the dungeon. Um, so that was definitely one. I did not make it into any of those dungeon chamber or the puzzle chambers you were talking about, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are scattered around 
the overworld. Like there's there's more than one of those. Um, oh, fun. They're slotted into uh, areas from A Link to the Past. Like in A Link to the Past, they were other things. But in this game, they kind of are huge chambers. They each have a puzzle. And at the end, they give you lots of rupees. Yep. There was actually one that you walked right past uh, last week on the way to Eastern Palace. Um, you couldn't have gotten into it at the time because you need to wall merge through bars to get into the actual puzzle chamber. But, uh-huh. uh, there's another one over there if you want to go back and get some more rupees. I definitely want to go back and do the puzzle. The rupees are neither here nor there because I have so many. But uh, yeah, I would totally. I really enjoyed that. And that was going to be my bloopy trail. It was really the only thing I did outside of uh, accidentally encountering a Lionel. Um that was really noteworthy for me, but um, that puzzle chamber, I and now that there, are, I know there are more of them. I will be looking for them because that was really fun. It was a fun little diversion, and uh, uh, I thought a good addition to the game. The other thing that I did was I expanded my item slots. Oh yeah, so did I. Yay! Yay! Is that optional? I don't. Uh, um. I'm not sure. I, I, I can't think of anything that is telling you that you have to go there. And okay, so, so just to clarify, what I'm talking about is um, at this point in the game, you can go over to, I think it's called the Haunted Grove. In A Link to the Past, it's where Ghosty Flute Boy hangs out. Yes. Um, in A Link Between Worlds, Gully, I guess, likes to hang out over there. Uh, but at this point in the game, we keep getting little hints dropped about the fact that major characters that we've been running into are disappearing to somewhere. Mm-hmm. Wonder where that might be. Hmm. But if you go over to the Haunted Grove, Gully's mom is looking for him. And uh, when you talk to her, she says, you know, she's worried about Gully, asks you to keep an eye out for him, says that he was uh, he had uh, an item pouch that he was supposed to be delivering to you. And it's sitting on the stump in the middle of the grove. Um, And after that conversation, you can pick it up and then you have two item slots, which is um, which is twice as good as having one item slot, I think. Minimum twice. Yeah, minimum <laughs> twice is good. <laughs> but, but to your point, Cody, I don't know if it's a requirement to do that in order to do anything else. I wonder if you could just go through this entire game with one measly item slot. That sounds miserable, honestly. Yeah, it's it's not great. Um, definitely a very useful thing to do. Takes basically no effort. Um, highly, highly recommend. And then past that, I uh, let's see pieces of heart wise. I, I have three at the moment. I have not completed another heart container, so I need to start poking around and doing a little bit more of that to, you know, bolster my uh, <laughs> bolster my resiliency, which, as we've been saying, is de- definitely something that I could stand to do at this point. Yeah, I um, I only had two ending this section, so it's uh, also on my list of things to go do is uh, grab some more uh, life force. Cool. Uh, but that's all I really have in terms of bloopy trails. I say we go ahead and move it on to Z-targeting, where we talk about fascinating characters or enemies that we happen across this week. I'm going to go first. Uh, I'm going to pick Irene the Witch. You son of a... Yeah? Oh, yeah? Are you saying that's who you were also going to pick, Matt? Yes. Uh, that's too bad. Well, at least now you have time to think of a backup option. Yeah, I like Irene the Witch a lot. I think as a as a fast travel mechanic, having a witch come and pick you up on a broom is one of the more interesting ones that the Zelda games have ever done. Uh, and I just, I like her little punky personality, you know? She's, <laughs> she's a, sassy. She's a little preteen sassy witch, and, uh, you know, she's desperately trying to avoid a terrible fate befalling her. Um, and for that reason alone is willing to give you rides all around the overworld. So. Nobody wants to meet with a terrible fate. 
nobody wants to meet with a terrible fate. Um, but yeah, th- this character is a really fun little one. And, uh, you know, you get that nice little bell. It's a great service that she provides, honestly. Uh, but I will also say that uh, this is not my bloopy trail pick, obviously, but uh, definitely worth paying a visit over to uh, her grandmother's potion shop, especially if you've, got, if you've got a bottle at this point. If you've got two bottles, the way I like to do this is to keep a fairy around and then also fill up the second one with like attack up potion or something like that. Yeah, because those are pretty useful. Uh, how about you, Cody? Who would be your Z targeting pick for this week? Well, aside from Irene, who I was going to pick also, um, I think I'll I'll take this chance to go with our friend Ravio. Um, okay. For his sheer audacity to set up in your own house and then act like he's doing you a favor by um, renting you renting items, you items, and then recollecting them um, when you die. <laughs> uh, just uh, just real real capitalist energy there. Definitely. Uh Definitely not the kind of person that I would I would probably willingly invite to have an extended stay in my home. Uh, great outfit, notwithstanding. So I went back and watched a. Um, I was refamiliarizing myself as I was writing the plot recap last week, um, which I guess I'm giving a little bit of background for. I did after the episode uh, aired. Um, oh, that never happens. <laughs> hush. Um, um, I went back and was watching kind of a playthrough just cause I'm obviously not familiar with this game, having never played it before or at least beaten it. Um, and he says in your house before, um, you agree to let him stay there or after you agree to let him stay there, he's like, I'll, I'll pay you rent. And I'm still waiting on that first rent check to come through. So, um, you know, whenever that happens, I'll be, uh, I'll be happy to see that hit my bank account in game. Um, but yeah. Real, uh, it's a real ballsy move to just like move into somebody's house. Yeah, Ravio never pays you rent. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I didn't think yeah, he would, but just, yeah, uh, whatever. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold out your your hopes for that. Yeah, so he's a he's he's definitely a bit of a bit of a freeloader. That Ravio. Oh, Ravio. Mm. All right. Well, my um, Z targeting pick is going to be the blacksmith's wife for uh, giving me the opportunity to do what I do in most Zelda games, and that is have two items slotted at all times and i greatly appreciate it (laughs) and the fact that she made the pouch for you like i think that's really sweet like she didn't have to do that she's just your boss's wife and she went out of her way to make you a useful item um and thought about you even before you went on this crazy adventure and um it's a sweet lady i do appreciate the effort i really do yeah it's very thoughtful okay good one matt yeah good one all right So that brings us to the end of part five. Let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts, where we let Matt wrap up this section of the game in as succinct a way as he can think to do. So this section of game brings us uh, further into the familiar yet very different world of Hyrule from A Link to the Past that we know and love. Uh, We further our exploration of the space with the new tools in our tool belt from any items that you feel uh, like risking renting from Ravio and the the repo bird. Um, Also, the wall merging technique uh, opens up a lot of uh, good spaces. Um, We meet some interesting characters along the way from the blacksmith's wife to mother 
Father, uh, Mother Mai Mai, and uh, Irene the Witch, who help us out uh, all in various ways, um, culminating uh, this week's section of game in a trek up Death Mountain, which uh, is familiar to everybody, um, and in a really good vertical dungeon that uh, pushed the boundaries of what top-down dungeons look like from a vertical space um, with some huge improvements given it uh, by the 3DS and the the engine that it's running on, um, culminating all the way at the top with the classic Scourge of Hyrule Muldome fight that uh, is just kind of fine. Um, But overall, (laughs) a good section of game, lots of exploration to be done and really showcasing uh, the excellence of the remaster of uh, Link to the Past's Hyrule and what the 3DS and the engine can do for a top-down game. Well done, as always, Matt. That brings us to what would normally be the end of the Sacred Realms rundown, but this becomes the part of the show where we now surrender ourselves to the will of Cody Davies and say, do your worst. Add as many parts as you want, Cody. We don't care. We can take it. Well, welcome, everybody, to part seven, uh, which, you know, you say it along with me. You all know what part seven is. It's right. It's Cody's tips and tricks. Let's do it. So Cody's tips and tricks. Um, my tip, um, don't forget about the Pegasus boots. This is something that I picked up before going into the dungeon, um, but it's not actually necessary for a long period of time, but I find it invaluable for just traversing the world. Um, so that's something that uh, I guess, uh, yeah, don't forget to do that one. Will you get us a, give us a quick rundown on the the method by which those are actually acquired? Um, so this is this is going a little into because um, the reason I got them is because I got the Zorus flippers, um, which are required for the next dungeon. Um, but after after that's all happened, you can sneak up on the thief who um, who stole the who stole the item and uh, and you can grab the Pegasus boots from him. It's sort of a, a similarity to in a link to the past. There was also a thief who would run away if you saw him um, in Kakariko Village, um, but this one will give you some Pegasus boots. Which actually, in this game, the Pegasus boots charge those do double damage to enemies, don't they? I think so. I think it's I think it's like a, a spin attack. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. But also you can just dash across screens. Uh, yeah, as I was going to say, just from it's like really a, a movement ability, which we all love. <laughs> yes. And you're going to find little little thief cave puzzle dungeons or whatever that are like, you better run across here fast. Um, and it's going to be a lot easier to just have the Pegasus boots. Well, that's a very good tip and trick, Cody, and uh, one that I actually forgot to do last week and will probably make that my priority numero uno when I log back on to play next week's section. All right. Well, part eight, as we know, is Australia facts, which I know. I'm always ready for a new Australia fact. Um, So Australia is the only English speaking country to have made voting compulsory resulting in a voter turnout of about 95%. Compulsory voting. What what happens if you don't uh, vote? Do you, like, go to jail or do you get, you get a, a fine? fine? 
Okay. Well, <laughs> straight straight to jail. <laughs> straight to straight to jail. Straight to jail. Voting turnout is actually one hundred and ten percent because anyone who doesn't vote just goes straight into the into the slammer. <laughs> <laughs> Littering, believe it or not, straight, straight to jail. To jail. <laughs> you steal a uh, yeah, sweater. <laughs> you steal a sweater. Uh, st- straight little, to jail. Oh, Parks and Rec. You better there. you better cut that clip in here I, instead I, of just our see, terrible I'm accent. I can find it. Some of those are a little bit more difficult to find, but yeah, uh, I will. I promise you, I will look for it. Um, compulsory voting. Good to know. You know, I, I think, uh, between, between that and our previous conversation about the Australian postal system, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm learning quite a lot about the infrastructure of your country. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the goal when people, are like when people listen to sacred realms, what they want to hear is every season, I'm going to learn a little bit more about the infrastructure of Australia. <laughs> and also hear just a little bit more about the water dragon than previously. Oh yeah, <laughs> and why we hate her. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of one of your uh, one of your one of your upcoming that's, talking that's points. Part twelve, but we haven't gotten to it yet. Um, okay, gotcha. So I do keep a list. You know, when I've when I've brought up a part, I I have it in the list, so I know. You know. Um, for example, part nine is called Matt. Do you intentionally mispronounce a character's name in each game? Um, a fan favorite yes. segment um, that created it, that led to the creation of a channel on the Discord. Um, True. And this one um, is not dedicated to a character, but just to the word ethereal, which is not pronounced ethereal. Did you say? Do you say ethereal? Ethereal, I say ethereal. Ethereal, is that it? Yeah, ethereal. Yeah, no. ethereal. In, in yeah. The plot rundowns a couple of times. Um, Matt has said ethereal. Really? Huh? Huh? Yeah, I always say it like cereal. It's, it's ethereal cereal. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch out for that one, Matt. Okay, there, I will. I will keep an eye out for it the in the plot thing recap you want from is now for on. This to end up. In the Matt mispronouncing things Discord chat. That's true. Uh, although it is literally all about me, so you don't want to add fuel to that fire, though, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. There is a part. There is a part ten that's called Linden. Why do you keep pronouncing Gerudo as Goyudo? But that hasn't come up. That's ever. true. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, Linden. Give us, give us some time. I'm sure it'll come back around. <laughs> or actually, maybe it won't. I don't know. Do we? Are there any more Gerudos? Gerudo? Are there any more Gerudos around um, between uh, here and Tears of the Kingdom? Mask has the pirates. Oh. Um, the pirates. Yeah, the yeah. Gerudo pirates. And we, <laughs> and who knows what happens in Tears of the Kingdom? Right. Um, but yeah, so let's see. Now we. Yeah, because in Twilight Princess, it's not the it's not the Gerudo Desert. It's the it's just the Arbiter's Grounds, right? No, and they the, call it the Gerudo Desert. They in do Twilight Princess. Oh, okay, there are no Gerudo in it, but which is wild. Yeah, to me, well, but, all right, one, yeah, cool. There's anyway, one Gerudo in that game, uh, just the one, just the, the, main one. One. <laughs> the villain. Um, but yeah, like so, just just you know, if you're wondering what these other parts are, um, part eleven was called. Matt, do you think Breath of the Wild is a real Zelda game yet? Yeah, that one's obsolete now, I think. Um, mm, we've moved past we've that moved one, past yes. that one. Uh, part 12 is, of course, wow, the water dragon in Skyward Sword doesn't know what she's doing. Um, 
<laughs> I feel like that one, I can't in good conscience go to that one, given that we ourselves invoked the water dragon. Well, I was about to say, the water dragon doesn't know what she's doing because she hasn't flooded this version of Hyrule. Oh, that's She's fair. flooding the wrong well, versions of Hyrule. when to use her flood powers. Yeah. She's, she's just doing it all wrong. All right. Well, never mind. The water dragon's back in the doghouse. <laughs> she doesn't know what she's doing. So, just a... I'm sure I'll bring that up on in every season anyway, so uh, don't worry. Part 12 not going away because uh, it's always worth reminding people that the water dragon doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> the water dragon's out there and she can <laughs> flood your Hyrule at any time. Even if it doesn't need it, but if it does need it, she won't flood it. She won't do it. <laughs> uh, that water dragon. Keep those tones out right. of my house. Absolutely. All right. 14. What's 14? Uh, well, 13. Uh, ah, 13 is. You skipped 13, yeah. Matt. Eh, is the, it's an unlucky number. the one that's called I'm Happy to Guest on Everyone's Zelda Podcast, just like Joshua, um, which came up after Josh guested on several podcasts. Still an open offer. Um, part 14 was called Visit Zeldapedia.wiki. I need to issue a correction to this. It's. It's now called ZeldaWiki.Wiki. ZeldaWiki.Wiki. Well, that has a certain ring to it, yeah. Um, But you can also access it from um, ZeldaWiki.net and a few other redirects that we have. We're still sorting out permanent domain stuff, but basically the important part here is don't visit the fandom version of the ZeldaWiki when you start visiting that in the lead up to the new game, etc. Uh, support independent wiki. Okay. Such as Zelda wiki. Definitely. Always support independent. I do have a question. Once Tears of the Kingdom comes out and, you know, obviously new information is revealed, we start, you know, like you're going to have a lot of pages that are going to need to be added. Um, how quickly does that process usually go? I mean, is that just uh a pretty slow burn as people have time to work on it, or do y'all really try to bust ass to get that as comprehensive as it can be? So there's there's a wiki team who um, have their own Discord server for organizing things and all of that, and they're constantly updating stuff on the wiki. Um, and so they have... Uh, so that, Yeah, when the game comes out, pretty quickly after that, um, if the staff aren't doing it, then just users will hopefully be doing it because that's the, the idea of a wiki is that it's, you know, the encyclopedia that anyone can edit. That's, you know, Wikipedia's slogan. Um, well, Wikipedia's slogan, as far as I can tell, is please give me $1 so that we can support uh, this wiki. But its other slogan right. is, uh, you know, the encyclopedia that anyone can edit. So if you're interested in helping out with wikis, and that sort of thing. All you need to do is sort of just understand a bit of there's, there's you don't need coding knowledge too much anymore because there's the visual version of editors. Um, but if you've got the information, um, it's always welcome to um, to help out with compiling it. So would would you consider this an open call for volunteers? Yes. Um, there you go. If you if you have the ability to help out, um, ZeldaWiki.Wiki would appreciate. Um, if you visit it, you should be able to find links to the Discord and all of that and chat more with the staff there. Um, 
Which we highly encourage chatting more with the staff at Zelda Universe. They're all awesome. At least the ones we've interacted with. So, 100%. Part 15 is the question of the day. Um, Previously, it's been about the games, but this time um, a more pressing question has been brought to our attention. So the Wario and Waluigi of of the Willoughby Brothers, what's the situation here? All right. So, so. My, my vote is um, <clears throat> since we have at the top of the podcast discovered that I am Mario and Lyndon is Luigi. Yes. The war the Wario to my Mario is equally lame. It's just Watt because you just change the M to a W. Well, but that's it's not, just Watt. I think it should be Wathew. Wathew's better. I like Wathew. Yes, Wathew yeah. is See, good. I, um, I came up with. Um, so I was thinking. So Matt. Matt Willoughby is the Mario, and then Pratt Willoughby, which is just Chris Pratt, is. <laughs> the, the universally uncontroversial voice actor of the uh, of of our everyone's favorite plumber in the upcoming theatrical adaptation. Yes, that Chris Pratt. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. And then my my pitch for Lyndon's Waluigi was Walladoner, which plays off of your uh, familial nickname that you got from. I don't think our- anybody that listens to the show knows that though. My 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 friends and family all call me Donor. That's my nickname, and it it had a very long process of creation that it's very convoluted as to how that actually happened. But anyway, yeah. Uh, but I don't think I've ever been referred to as such on the podcast before. Mike, no. The detective might have let a donor drop once or twice. I don't yeah. know, but oh, well, I, it's hard with Walla Walla Inden or something like that. It just doesn't flow. So I was trying to go with something a little more easy to uh, to pronounce. I don't know. What did you have any? Do you have any thoughts here, Cody? I'm open to suggestions. All right. So my idea was that Lyndon has an evil twin called Winston, and he's British. Okay, oh, I like that. That could happen. Yeah, Winston. Yeah, so it's Pratt and Winston, uh, the the evil Mario Brothers. But just to clarify, Pratt is not British. He's just Chris Pratt. He's just Chris Pratt. He's just Chris Pratt. Yes, he's just I Chris mean, Pratt. He, he might be talking about a British accent, uh, but you know, maybe it will just sound the same as his, his other accents. He <laughs> <laughs> just sounds like Chris Pratt doing a, a weird voice for no reason. <laughs> oh man i don't know your your counterpart sounds the more annoying one to interact with on a day-to-day basis absolutely no doubt mine sounds like much more of an immediate like existential intel- threat intellectual threat yeah, to it's my an life. existential threat to you yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go winston All right. pratt there you go it's now official Sacred Realms canon. At some point, we need to now uh, do an entire podcast episode as, as Winston our Pratt alter egos. Yeah, we're gonna have to get a lot better at voice impressions, so for it to not be just utterly annoying to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> just two guys from Texas trying to sound like Chris Pratt slash a British guy, <laughs> not working at all. Yeah. Uh, ooh, ouch. Hmm, we'll need to workshop that one. Yeah, but regardless, Cody. So uh, these are the big questions. I think this is what this these are the things everybody wants to hear about. So oh, yeah. uh you're doing us a, a real service in 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 bringing them up and I appreciate that. So 
Well, part 16 was Australian government update, and that was about uh, me being elected um, to local government. And I'm happy to inform you that I'm still elected. Well, that's good. I would, uh, I would hate to, I would hate for this installment of Part Sixteen to be the revelation that you have been ousted from office <laughs> or impeached in some kind of high-profile controversy. Yeah, look, some people did get ousted from office. They didn't hand in their returns, which is uh, the the forms you have to fill out, being like, "What donations did I receive during the campaign?" All of those kinds. Ooh, that's oh awesome. man, imagine that being compulsory for all politicians. Man. Huh. What's wouldn't, that like? Wouldn't that be nice? What's that like? Huh. But I handed mine in, so I am I am safe. So that's that's your part sixteen update. Uh, way to be above way to be above board on your finances. So and that brings us to part seventeen, which is called Visit Zelda Universe. So if you're not familiar with Zelda Universe, uh, it's a website and a YouTube channel and a Twitch channel and an Instagram channel and a TikTok channel and a forum and a Discord and a range of other things. Um, and we are all very hyped because a new game is coming. As a, as a fan site, we've been coasting on port re-releases and all this kind of thing for about six years now. Um, and we've finally got a new game to cover. And so, or to not cover in the case of today, we've been, I sent out, I sent out a notification being like, just a reminder, uh, we're not doing any coverage of the leak because Nintendo's lawyers are very vicious. So, um, and because people just don't, don't want to see it if they're looking for spoiler stuff, but Otherwise, we could put it under a spoiler tag or something. But for the leaks, we're, we're also adopting a policy of uh, we do not want to be the target of a cease and desist, um, which I think. No, that's that's something that's something none of us ever want to be on the receiving end of. Yeah, look, you've been on the receiving end of one of those before, but I beat it. Actually, we also were. Not by Nintendo, but our card manufacturer at one point sent us a... a that was just a misunderstanding. They, they were like, hey, do you have license to do this? And we had to clarify that, yes, indeed, because it's non-licensed work. So, well, they thought that, that was a whole they thing. They thought that what I was doing was pulling official Nintendo artwork, like JPEGs that I found on the internet, and just <clears> plopping <throat> them into the card templates. Got it. Right? Yeah. And so that was the miscommunication, which I am not doing. I draw all these things. So. Freehand. I see him do it. I have seen him do it many so times. Right. Just go. like Yuga from A Link Between Worlds, Lyndon is an artist. I <laughs> Tortured artist? Could be. Could to tell. Definitely to tortured. If, if no Matt doubt about that. If disappears one day and there's just a really good painting of Matt in Lyndon's room, um, <laughs> we all know what happened. <laughs> uh, I'm not hanging my matte painting in my room. He's going in the garage. Ouch! Rude. It's not. It's not temperature controlled out there. Over the fireplace. Yes, definitely, okay. definitely okay. over the fireplace. Right. Well, glad we could come to an agreement on that. <laughs> At least, Cody. I'm almost afraid to ask. Do we have a part 18? Hmm. I haven't come up with one yet, but if I do, I'll let you know. Well, that sounds good. Look, all I'm saying is that by the time we get to part 20, part 20 better be a, a real banger. Like part 20 has got it. That's a big deal. That's a big day on this podcast oh, yeah. is the 20 part Sacred Realms rundown. 
Well, uh, look forward to it. There's plenty more seasons to go. I'm sure there's plenty more parts to, uh, to add to the Sacred Realms. <laughs> there is there is three-ish years of pod left to run. So, uh, yes, we'll, we'll be there. <laughs> I don't know that there's that much. There's a lot. But... We're not even halfway done, Lyndon. Yeah, we are. No, this this is the halfway point game. We and that's got, not including Tears of the Kingdom. We have 17 games on our list, and we have got... This is game eight. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> you're right. Okay. Ah! <laughs> okay, cool. Fine, you're right. How's it feel? I mean, always good. Good, I'm happy for Always you. good. Well, Cody, it's been a fantastic time. Uh, always love having you on the show. Of course, I'm going to reiterate the point that Cody just made, which is that if you if you do not frequent Zelda universe and if you are a fan of the Zeldas, which I'm assuming you are being a listener of this podcast, uh, Zelda universe is an excellent online resource that we highly recommend that you uh, that you check out and that you um, definitely pay a visit to once or twice, especially in the lead up to the release of a new Zelda game. Um Lots of stuff going to be happening there. Lots of fun stuff. And just a reminder that we do actually release the audio for all of our episodes on their YouTube channel as well. So if you do prefer listening to your podcasts in a in a web browser on YouTube, then that option is available to you. And there's a lot of other great videos to check out on their channel as well. So anyway, all that is to say, Cody, uh, seriously, it's been a great time. Do you real quick just want to remind everybody uh, where they can find you on socials and all that stuff before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, look, if you want to follow me uh, on Twitter, that's at Magicody. That's M-A-G-I-C-O-D-Y. Uh, hopefully I still have a Twitter a year from now when we come back to another podcast, but that's not up to me. Um that's up to Twitter. Who, who is that up to? That's up to Mr. Elon Musk. So um, I have no idea where it will be. But for now, that is probably the the main place that if, as a public presence that if you just want to, you know, tag me in something or whatever, I'm um, always happy to. Excellent. Definitely go give Cody a follow. Um, this is a, just a, just a, just a super pleasant dude. And uh deserves all the good things and uh, a, a large influx of followers. I want that for you, Cody. That's what I want for you. Thank you. All right. Well, we will catch up with you again some other time. We're still finalizing the guest list for the remainder of the season. So might catch you again before this is all said and done. We'll see. Um, just uh, do just want to say that we have had some conversations uh, with a few other people who are going to be coming back for episodes. Of course, we're going to be getting your your old reliables, your favorites. Josh and Max are going to be coming back on. But we will also be having appearances from some people who have not been on the podcast in a little while. And uh, we're going to be making a concerted effort to try and get some new people on uh, here before too long. So stay tuned for more info on that. But I think that that's all we've got for this week. Matt, do you have anything else? Any any parting shot that you want to shoot off into the uh, into the ether before we get out of here? I have nothing for the ethereal shot taking. Ethereal. I know. I said it wrong on purpose. No, you said it right that time. I'm ah, dang it. <laughs> now I'm all turned around. <sighs> this is what happens when Cody's on. Up is down. Down is up. Left is right. Summer is winter. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's just Australia. That's just Australia. <laughs> well, technically, the whole southern hemisphere. But fact, It's currently 38 degrees Celsius. Um, 
What is that? That's I don't even know what very that is. hot, right? Thirty-eight that's, degrees that's really Celsius toasty. is very hot. Yeah. Hold on. Let me let me do a, a conversion in my in my browser. Thirty-eight is one hundred point four degrees Fahrenheit. Yikes! I mean, that's wow. Yeah. Well, well, being being natives of Texas, we are no no strangers to that area of the thermometer. So, uh, you know. Wishing you the best, Cody. That's uh, that's toasty by anybody's standards, I think. Yep, I'm just staying inside the conditioner on recording podcast. So it's a, you know, that's how it goes. Sounds cozy. You'll love to hear it. All right, well, let's go ahead and get out of here. Let's do some outro and uh, call this one done for the week. If you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on A Link Between Worlds Chapter 3. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. A Link Between Worlds is playable on the Nintendo 3DS and 2DS family of systems. And Cody, remind me, has the eShop gone down yet? Uh, no, the, the 3DS eShop is somewhere in the near the end of March. Uh, it will go down. And... I think there's some stuff that might be going down later this month, but I'm not sure. But I think everything except I think you'll be able to can you'll be able to re-download old games and stuff for the foreseeable future. But if you need to buy, for example, like Ocarina of Time 3D for um, for the their little buyer's choice deal or whatever on there, you can uh, you can get that for the next month. Cool. So all that is to say, if you do not own a copy of A Link Between Worlds or Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, any of those 3DS uh, Zelda games, now is probably the time to head over to the eShop and download those to your system uh, because it's already pretty difficult to find hard copies of all of those things. And uh, to echo a point that uh, frequent friend of the pod Josh made in our Discord channel last week. Once the eShop goes down, the prices of those hard copies, when you do manage to find them, are probably going to be quite a bit higher. Yes. So so, so this is your one month-ish warning. Go download your software. It's a good thing to do. But in the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We'll catch y'all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.